2: This episode features secret FBI recordings that contain profanity and other offensive language. We're including them in their unedited form to convey the full impact of this hateful rhetoric. From ABC Audio, this is Truth and Lies, The Informant. Episode 4, The Power of a Bromance. By September 2016, the self-proclaimed crusaders were getting ready to execute their terrorist attack against Garden City's Muslim residents. Dan Day noticed the tone of their meetings had changed throughout the summer months. Patrick Stein, Gavin Wright, and Curtis Allen weren't just swapping Islamophobic slurs anymore. They were planning an attack. They had a target, the West Mary Street Apartments, They had a date, November 9th, the day after the presidential election. And now, it was time to focus their attention on perhaps the most important detail, the method of attack. Little did they know, the FBI agents had been tracking their movements through Dan, their informant.
3: There were multiple things that were discussed after they had chosen that particular address. They talked about Car bombs.
4: They were going to go door to door, kick in,
3: directional blast with a trash can,
4: shoot them with a, a 22, which is real silent.
3: Pumping gas into the apartment complex.
4: And rig these whole
2: apartments up and burn them all down, make it look like an accident. They eventually decided that a bomb was the easiest and most effective way to inflict maximum damage at 312 West Mary Street. Specifically, an Improvised Explosive Device, or IED.
4: Stein probably was the first one to come up with it, but everybody else, you know, jumped on it.
2: Gavin and Curtis volunteered to start tinkering around with chemicals to see if they could make the bomb themselves. Gavin was an electrician, and he figured that his knowledge and expertise would come in handy. So the two of them went off on their own, studying, sharing notes. They built their own little chemistry lab right there in the kitchen of Gavin's business, G&G Home Center.
4: They never did it before. They downloaded like a thousand-page book, the anarchy cookbook. They were just like uh, what they was reading, getting off uh, the internet, YouTube.
2: Gavin and Curtis spent weeks playing scientist, trying to make a detonator, also known as a blasting cap. This was the critical first step and hardest part in building a bomb. By mid-September, less than two months away from their proposed date, they still hadn't quite figured everything out. But to Dan's horror, they were making progress on the blasting cap. They updated Patrick and Dan during one of their meetings. Here's FBI agent Robin Smith.
5: Wright and Allen were discussing and laughing about some previous events where they had begun testing some explosives, a primary explosive that Alan was trying to manufacture in the kitchen at g and and laughing about how when they went to test it with a lighter, and it flash-fired such a large magnitude that it burned the hair off of... Part of the back of his hand. Did
0: it really burn here? It. it just but wasn't just like, lit with a big lighter. It burned all the hair off my finger. I mean, it, was it was like whoosh,
4: and it was gone. Dude. I mean, it was fast. It was probably uh, a fire this figure in <laughs> and, and the shit would just disappear.
2: <laughs> this breakthrough, the progress that the pair had made, caught Dan off guard. During all the talk about explosives, he'd often felt confused, even fearful, knowing next to nothing about the chemicals and components that go into a bomb. And now, it was clear he was totally out of the loop. The Crusaders were well on their way to creating the means to carry out an attack. After the meeting, Dan reported the news back to his FBI handlers. Word spread fast up the chain of command. Here's Tony Mativi, the federal prosecutor on the case.
6: When Dan got back from that meeting and we had these guys saying on tape that they had manufactured an explosive, that was our oh shit moment. That was when I started losing sleep because now you you have these guys and not only do you know what they intend to do, but you know what they're capable of doing and they have done it.
2: That's what we've been making this shit,
7: I hope. That's what I That's I'm go.
4: Fuck! I don't
7: know what he was doing in
4: there.
2: <laughs> the FBI needed to strategize and fast. With all the key components of a blasting cap at hand, the Crusaders now had the intention and materials to wreak havoc. But the FBI agents had a trick up their sleeve, a way to take action and slow the group's movement. At the end of August, even before Gavin and Curtis had mastered the critical first step in building their bomb, the agents had told Dan that they planned to bring in an undercover agent. This meant having Dan introduce an outsider to the Crusaders, a trained agent, a move that was standard practice for the FBI.
6: Typically the informant is there as a vehicle for you to try to get an undercover in. And and the reason is an undercover is an actual agent, whereas an informant is not an agent, it's a citizen, right? So an undercover, it's their job to get in and infiltrate the organization and so they're going to do a better job with regard to they're, they're going to collect evidence better uh, i mean it's just the difference between having a trained professional do it and having a civilian do it
2: for dan the news came as a surprise it was an acknowledgement that the operation was kicking into a higher gear and the conspiracy to kill hundreds of somali refugees was from the fbi's perspective edging dangerously close to reality But for Dan, there was also a sense of relief. He wouldn't be on his own anymore as the only operative on the case, especially now that the Crusaders were building a bomb. The undercover's code name was Brian, and in his role, he would have a few clearly defined goals. In addition to collecting evidence, he was an explosives expert, better able to understand the situation and assess risk. He would also serve as a backup source for the FBI if Dan were ever cut out of the group. Most critically, Brian would attempt to slow down the Crusaders.
3: We also wanted to try to control the speed of how things were going by having an undercover in there. And because they were starting to make explosives, we thought if we introduced an undercover, who could provide explosive materials to them, that it would perhaps get them away from making their own explosives and have our undercover do it.
6: There are things that they're worried about not being able to make themselves. There are things that they want to be able to get from the outside, and that's what allows us the opportunity to introduce the undercover.
2: To bring Brian in, Dan built on a lie he told the others earlier in the year when he was establishing his militia bona fides. He'd said that he had cousins in Oklahoma who were part of a criminal organization that sold guns and drugs on the black market. He could now suggest that his cousin's boss, a guy named Brian, was someone who could probably get them anything they wanted. Better yet, Brian would definitely be sympathetic to the crusaders' cause, likely willing to give a discount on expensive weapons and explosives. Here's FBI agent Robin Smith.
5: Dan proposed that well, these other people have access to things like explosives, firearms, stuff we're gonna need, potentially expertise we're gonna need. And they wrote out a short list, a four item list of things that they wanted to explore. Could this contact of Dan's provide them with things like these items? Curtis Allen and Gavin Wright were rather reticent about whether or not they wanted to meet with him because Curtis openly stated, he said, no, I I think they're probably cops. And he didn't want to go to that meeting. But he was perfectly okay with the idea that, no, Patrick, you go ahead and go to that meeting. And if it turns out to be something we can use, then by all means, we want to do it.
2: The Crusaders split into two camps over meeting Brian. Curtis and Gavin were much more hesitant, mistrustful of any outside influence. But Dan had an ally in Patrick, who took to the idea immediately, excited to work with Brian as a way to fast-track the plan. In the days following, Patrick and Dan would call each other, complaining about Curtis and Gavin's paranoia. Dan called for a meeting two weeks later, hoping to push the group towards meeting his black market contact. He continued to weave a story. His people in Oklahoma would be able to help the Crusaders out and fast. And he told them Brian would be in the area for a drug run the following week, and that Brian wanted to meet the group face to face. Immediately, Curtis and Gavin showed the same resistance they had in the weeks before.
4: I'd really feel a lot better if your cousin was there. I don't I'm so I don't I don't even the best, lowest, fucking down in the dirty. Groups have uh, fucking narked Oh yeah,
7: know, yeah, yeah, that's why. That's see, why that's, that's what what's kind of worrisome. They want to see us because.
4: Well, that I page. think that's why. If that's the case, I don't. Maybe they have a database They can check us all
2: out. That's I don't, no Well, but Dan laid it on thick, saying he'd gone out on a limb for both groups, for the Crusaders on the one hand, and to Brian's people on the other, vouching for each to the other. And now, after all that, Curtis and Gavin still didn't want to meet. Dan said he'd come off like an idiot. Finally, after some further lobbying and backup from Patrick, he got Curtis and Gavin to come around. Dan and Patrick would go and see the arms dealers and assess if they could help the Crusaders. The meeting was on. The following week, on September 25th, Dan drove about 50 miles northeast of Garden City to a remote lake preserve outside of Calvesta, Kansas. This was the secluded spot the FBI had selected, a parking area with few amenities and fewer visitors. They had done a trial run of the meeting the day before, rehearsing different scenarios to make sure all went down perfectly. And this time, Dan had backup. When Dan arrived, Brian was already there waiting, along with other agents posing as members of his criminal outfit. In all, there were a dozen other law enforcement personnel involved in the setup, some tracking Patrick's movements, others hiding in a nearby cluster of trees armed with long range rifles in case things went south. Having followed Dan along the winding dirt roads, Patrick pulled in next to Dan in his dusty pickup. The two men approached Brian, who for the first part of the meeting, ignored Patrick, trying to play it cool. After a few minutes of this, Brian turned to Patrick and invited him to talk in his truck. For purposes of the investigation, Brian wanted to get Patrick alone, an opportunity to assess the threat independently. Patrick followed, and the two sat in the front seats of Brian's red Ford pickup and started talking shop.
0: I wanted to make sure that, first of all, I know he doesn't have the money to do this, to get what y'all are asking for, okay? Right. And I want to know what's going on because I ain't gonna give it to any fucking jihadis to go blow up. People sure. I care about. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh. So that's why I wanted to meet you.
4: Well, I'm um, I'm uh, glad to hear that actually because okay. uh, you know just straight up, that's exactly uh, what this is going for. Not for them.
0: I was gonna I was gonna say you better to, get the fuck out of my to, truck if it's to going to for them. take them out. Oh, so is
4: it? Okay, yeah. all right. Well, I'm cool with that then. Yeah. Um. Fuck no, dude. All right, Every good. One really. Of them motherfuckers need to be fucking eradicated. Yeah.
3: The undercover said that he could see what he could do and that, you know, there's a possibility that he might be able to help them out with building explosives. And at one point, Stein mentions that they're just a bunch of dumb country boys and they don't know what they're doing. So any help would be appreciated.
0: All right. Well, sounds like it's good then. We got that out of the way. I just want to make sure you guys aren't fucking with any of those guys. No. So, okay.
4: No, in fact, uh, I don't know. I can't say exactly when, but uh, just between you and me and the fence Mm -hmm. post, you'll probably be seeing some news coming out of western Kansas here in the near future.
2: All right. Patrick took to Brian immediately. The FBI was hoping for this, that Brian's macho, no-nonsense, arms dealer persona would draw Patrick in. But they couldn't have guessed just how perfectly that plan would work.
6: What I do remember that was tremendously helpful to the investigation was Patrick and Brian, they hit it off. And in fact, I've characterized it on many occasions as Patrick had a crush on Brian. And I don't mean that. I mean, he just, Brian's um, persona as an undercover is a guy that one of these militia folks would find really, really cool. He just sort of carried himself in a way that you knew that those guys were going to like him. We had no idea how much Patrick was going to like him. Patrick really liked Brian. That helped us a lot in the investigation. Brian is is just sort of this burly, bearded man's man. I mean, heck, I had a crush on Brian. I mean, Brian was just, you know Brian was just a really cool guy. From my perspective as the prosecutor, what made him good is he was able to converse with these guys in a language that they understood. He was able to draw out from them what their thoughts were without planting thoughts in their mind. That's what makes a good undercover.
4: Very glad to have met you. Same here. And Sounds uh, like you guys are doing good things out here, man. I can't wait to get it started, bro, to be honest with you. Give
0: me a I couple days
4: and I'll mind. get back to you. All I've, right. I've got a, uh, well, my call sign is Orkin, man. And, uh, <laughs> Exterminator, huh?
2: Uh-huh.
4: There I you go. I hate fucking cockroaches and that's exactly what them motherfuckers are. Mm-hmm.
2: You know? The meeting went off without a hitch. Brian effortlessly lured Patrick in, endearing him to his militia persona and laying the groundwork for future talks. Patrick could barely contain his excitement about the meeting, calling Dan before the day was out to marvel at Brian's resources, and later gushing on a group Zello call with Curtis and Gavin that Brian could get them anything they wanted. Dan started to take a back seat, letting Brian and Patrick's new relationship blossom. After the meeting, Brian and Patrick began messaging over WhatsApp. Brian confirmed to Patrick he could get them the weapons. Patrick began sharing information too, information about the Crusaders and their plot that would become valuable evidence. Here's Tony Mativi again.
6: All of their initial conversations were by text message. And, and, and Brian would say, hey, you know, I hear what you guys are, you know, maybe trying to do out there. Um, how can I help? Uh, And and Patrick, I mean, those texts were incredible. Patrick implicated everybody in the group. And at one point he just laid out the plan and he said, Hey, here's what we want to do. We want to blow up a mosque and, and we need your help. Can you get us C4? Can you get us detonators? You know, what, what kind of assistance can you offer? And those, the texts were just very, very incriminating.
2: On October 5th, a little over a week after Patrick and Dan's meeting with Brian, the Crusaders met again at the truck stop in sublet Kansas. At this point, it was unclear whether they would go with Brian's bomb or their own. Patrick and Dan wanted to lean on Brian's expertise, but Curtis and Gavin had been busy plugging away with their homemade setup. And as if to address the question, Gavin announced that he and Curtis had set off another explosive, this time an even bigger one. Dan was stunned another test of a detonator that he had been totally unaware of things were going too far he needed to convince the group to hand over their weapons making to brian pretty soon after patrick launched into a dramatic recap of his meeting with brian attempting to convince curtis and gavin that they had a golden opportunity on their hands he told them how he'd been in constant touch with brian texting up until the night before and had become convinced Brian was there for them. In fact, Brian was looking to arrange a follow-up meeting for the coming week. Patrick urged them to seize the moment. While Gavin seemed a bit more impressed, Curtis was still skeptical. They got into a heated debate, Patrick vouching for Brian's legitimacy, and Curtis voicing his fears that it could be a setup. Eventually, Curtis eased up and was convinced by Patrick and Dan. He decided that the pair should go ahead and meet Brian again, and specifically see if they could get access to C4, a key ingredient of the bomb he wanted to create. In effect, a two-track strategy emerged. If Brian went dark on them, the Crusaders could still make their own explosive. It was settled.
6: By early October, we think that we're in a pretty good spot because we know now how they're going to do it. We know where their target is. We know when, and we have both an undercover and an informant in. And so we think we're on a nice, steady glide path to taking this down probably a few days in advance of when it's supposed to happen. And then everything sort of unravels.
2: With the crusaders all in agreement that patrick and dan should pursue a possible deal with brian the men got to texting and decided to reconvene on october 12th they made plans to shoot some guns m16 assault rifles and ak-47s staples in brian's illegal gun running business then patrick would drive brian around garden city showing him exactly where they planned to plant the bombs for the fbi a walkthrough for this October 12th meeting was an absolute necessity because unlike the first meeting, they'd all be firing automatic weapons, which increased the risk factor big-time. Dan, Brian, and the FBI agents met up to rehearse the day before at the lake preserve. The agents had to plan for the possibility, however unlikely, that Patrick, armed with an automatic weapon might do something unexpected or violent. So they rehearsed what to do in the worst case scenario. The FBI relied on the same safety measures as the meeting before, but this time they added SWAT teams, drones, helicopters, all to protect the FBI agents on the scene if Patrick turned on them. All these details, these elaborate backup plans, made Dan's head spin And he thought, if these measures were in place to rescue FBI agents, what about me, the informant? Who's looking out for me? I'm not FBI, but I'm also not Patrick. Where do I fall in this? Amy Kuhn reassured him Dan would be treated as FBI. No questions asked. He felt relieved. During the rehearsal... Dan received a phone call from Patrick. He looked to Robin, showing him the incoming call, and Robin told Dan to ignore it for now. After all, calls from Patrick often lasted hours, and it was usually just Patrick complaining about this or that. Dan didn't have the time for that. They had a rehearsal to get through. But then, Dan got a text message from Patrick. It read 911. He showed Robin and they quickly hopped in a car for Dan to call Patrick. Patrick picked up. There was breaking news. Curtis Allen had been arrested. Earlier that day, down in liberal Kansas, Lula Harris had had enough. She was Curtis Allen's on-again, off-again girlfriend. They lived together in a trailer park where they hung a Trump flag on their front door and painted the garden rocks Red, white, and blue. Curtis wasn't exactly a star boyfriend. He was hardly home. He might have been at the local bar, where he had a reputation for trying to pick up women. And if he wasn't at the bar, he was likely at G&G. And when he was home, he was preoccupied, watching YouTube videos and reading books about building bombs. His hearing wasn't very good. So a lot of the time those videos would be blasting throughout the trailer. Lula swore she knew how to build a bomb by heart, just because of how many times that video blared throughout their home. There was one time when Lula went to visit Curtis at G&G. When she walked in, she noticed a hot plate on the kitchen island. On it was a beaker, stirrer, and some white substance inside. Her mind flashed to those videos playing in her living room. She knew what was happening, but never said a thing. But on this day, October 11th, the same day that Dan and the FBI were rehearsing at the remote lakeside location, all of Lula's complaints about Curtis came to a head. They faced off against one another, Curtis grabbing at Lula's purse and then her cell phone He grabbed her wrist, twisting her hand, hurting her. She squirmed free, running out of the trailer as neighbors began to peek out and watch. Curtis stood in the doorway, staring at her. You call 911, he said, I'll kill you and your family. He then stormed over to his truck, slammed the door shut behind him and drove away. Lula sat there alone in the doorway, among the red, white, and blue rocks they had painted together. She called the town police. So
5: Lula went to the Liberal Police Department and explained to them, hey, Curtis is my boyfriend, this is a problem because he's acting violently towards me and I want that to stop.
2: But Lula had other information on Curtis, things she now shared, thinking the police would be keen on knowing.
5: He's a member of a militia group, he's heavily involved with these people, he's been watching a lot of videos where he's learning how to manufacture explosives, and there's probably some stuff in our residence that you should see.
2: The police acted fast, arresting Curtis 45 minutes later, ostensibly on a domestic complaint. He was with Gavin at the time, driving home from work down the highway, When the cops pulled them over at gunpoint. While handcuffed and kneeling on the ground, Curtis remained quiet. But Gavin became mouthy. He didn't understand why he was also being handcuffed. He didn't do anything, he kept saying. And when a police officer asked him if he knew anything about a bomb Curtis was building, Gavin said he knew nothing. So the police let Gavin go. Meanwhile, other police officers began searching Lula and Curtis's trailer. They found a room, one that Curtis called his man cave, filled with gun parts and accessories and plenty of ammunition. They found books about bomb making, and they found excerpts of the Crusaders' manifesto Curtis was working on, which read, In the near future, you will see certain actions to reinstate our Constitution, and you also see the government and media telling you we are domestic terrorists. Do not fall for this. We, the people, have to take back control of our government. I knew the captain
5: over investigations down at the Liberal Police Department very well, and I knew it was only a matter of maybe an hour or two before we were going to get a phone
2: call. This stuff was seriously alarming. And frankly, also above the Liberal Police Department's pay grade. So just as Robin predicted, they got the call from Liberal Police. Robin and Amy needed to be careful about the way to proceed with this news. They dialed up Tony to run through their options.
6: There are two phone calls in this case that I'll never forget. One of them was Robin and Amy calling to tell me that Dan had passed out. And then the second was, was Robin and Amy calling to tell me that Lula called and just gave up Curtis and the entire plot to Liberal Police Department. What do we do?
5: This was gonna really cause us some problems and that this might cause a situation where we have to arrest them right away.
2: Curtis's arrest put Robin and Amy in a tricky situation. Up until this point, no one outside of the FBI knew about their ongoing domestic terrorism investigation. Because the fact was, even people in local law enforcement had connections to militia groups across Kansas the agents knew there was a police dispatcher who would do favors for the Kansas Security Force, like provide vehicle information or run license plate numbers. If anyone found out about Dan's work as an informant, and word got back to the other crusaders, things could go south fast for Dan. Here's Tony again.
6: Dan was going into these meetings, and and if somebody had let it slip, to Gavin or Curtis or Patrick, that if somehow they found out that Dan was an informant, it would have been very, very easy for them to lure him to one of these remote locations where these meetings took place and to kill him. And, and he was completely vulnerable. It was incredibly risky. And so that was the trade-off. Our our matrix for that decision was The more people who know about this investigation, the more risk that Dan gets killed.
2: So when Robin received that call from liberal police, he knew he had to play dumb. They still needed to protect Dan and keep their investigations under wraps.
5: Amy and I decided, well, we can't say anything yet. We conferred with FBI management kept the veil of secrecy over things, and responded to what Liberal Police Department had learned about Curtis Allen, about his activities, and began to work with them as if this was new to us.
2: However, this tactic only lasted a few hours. All the uncertainty became mind-boggling. They had no idea if this arrest would set off Patrick and Gavin. Would they destroy all evidence and go on the run, or worse, move forward with their plan immediately?
5: We realized we could no longer keep this just to the FBI. Um, I think it was about 11.30 that night.
2: Amy was busy drafting a state search warrant for G&G. Meanwhile, Robin was calling KBI Kansas Bureau of Investigation to let them know what was going on.
5: Look, we're involving your people. This is what this is really about. We have been watching Wright and Stein and Allen for some time, and they're planning a terrorist attack, and this is what we need to do.
2: Meanwhile, Brian and Dan were staying on track for the next day for their meeting by the lake with Patrick for target practice and then to drive through Garden City. They didn't know if this sudden arrest would disrupt the careful plan they had concocted. They were worried Patrick might bail on them or take action on his own. Brian shot Patrick a text. We still on for tomorrow? Patrick replied, yes.
6: I thought that once he heard that Curtis got arrested, that he was done and he was out. And I couldn't believe it when he actually showed up and followed through with the meeting. And I think it's because of the relationship that he had developed with Brian.
2: Miraculously, everything went according to plan. They met around 5 o'clock that evening on October 12th. They shot illegal automatic weapons Brian provided, those AK-47s, M-16s using pumpkins they'd scattered about in a field as targets.
0: Anybody got another AK mag? I'll go get some. Yeah. These are the fun ones, man. Yeah.
2: And then they drove over to Garden City, past their target, the 312 West Mary Street apartment complex.
0: So where's this? Where's this place you all were planning on? You sent me the address, man, but I don't have my. Mm. I don't
4: have yeah, anything. it's over in Garden.
0: Oh, it is. Mm-hmm. Okay.
4: Yeah, it is. Both of them are. They're like half a block from each other. Oh, okay. Um, you know, while we're over there, if we want to, uh, uh, we could take a cruise by them and
2: Brian and Patrick continued to bond throughout the day. It was kind of a perfect day for Patrick. He got to shoot some of Brian's seriously deadly weapons. Boast to Brian about his grand plan that would change American history. And Brian got pumped. acted like he was in full support. Even suggesting ways he could help more. Like maybe they could build a vehicle-borne explosive device, which would make the attack much easier to carry out. Brian was talking Patrick's language. And Brian did this strategically because the next step was to get Patrick to show up with bomb-making fertilizer to their next meeting.
6: Talked about Patrick giving the ammonium nitrate fertilizer to Brian, Brian doing whatever he had to do to turn that into the explosive device, and then giving that back to Patrick for Patrick to use at Mary Street. So, so the goal going in was Brian was to get Patrick to agree to bring that back to him at a time that we could take him down.
2: Of course, Patrick, feeling so connected to Brian, so full of trust, agreed to bring him the fertilizer. Robin, Tony, and Amy knew it was time for the end game. It was only a matter of when and how quickly. I
5: believe I went and woke up the primary undercover in his hotel room at something like three o'clock in the morning. Uh, that get that next day and said, I need you to get your wits about you because I need you to reach out to Patrick Stein and I need you to tell him that you want the fertilizer that he has to make the primary component of the bomb, that you want to go ahead and get that from him now, as in the next day.
2: Brian texted Patrick saying, hey brother, can you get me that stuff tomorrow? Patrick replied, yes. They agreed to meet early in the morning at a McDonald's in Dodd City for breakfast. Patrick said he'd bring 300 pounds of fertilizer for Brian, and he'd go alone without Dan.
6: I'm confident that Robin and Amy and most of the agents were up all night. I'm sure for them it wasn't a matter of waking up. Um, It was a matter of still being up. Brian says, you bring me the 300 pounds of fertilizer at the Mid-Dodge City on Friday morning at 6. Patrick shows up with six 50-pound bags of fertilizer. What would 300 pounds of ANFO do? That would have decimated that entire apartment building, the the entire complex at 312 West Mary.
2: Around 7 a.m., Patrick rolled into the parking lot. Brian was outside and told him to park next to his truck.
0: Back it right up over here, all right. <laughs> What's going on, brother? How you doing, man? Good, you? All right. All right, man.
2: The first order of business was to get the fertilizer in Brian's truck.
0: It ain't raining, though.
4: That's true, almost.
0: Yeah, almost, man. All right.
4: You gonna throw oh, in the back?
0: Yeah, we'll, get, we'll cover it up.
4: Got it right here in my back.
0: Okay. You guys right in the back there? Yeah,
4: together. Okay. This, this side here has a little bit of a tear in the bottom of it. Oh, okay. I'll just put it in this box. Okay. Uh,
2: Once it was put in, Brian invited Patrick to talk inside the McDonald's.
0: Sir? Yeah, okay, mm-hmm. right, let's go where we can yeah.
2: talk. Here's the tape from the final meeting between Patrick and Brian. Ain't nobody in here.
3: <laughs>
0: right? No, there ain't nobody in
2: here.
0: Good, man. So what do you think you, uh, what, you're going to have to tell me soon, man, because I'm taking this stuff down, and we're going to make what we were talking about, and I'm going to bring ahead. it back up to you. Okay.
4: Um, what time frame are you thinking on that?
0: Probably a week. Okay. Good. You got okay. my word on that. Good. It's going to make a big mess. It's going to, both of those areas are gone. Good. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I know that's what you want.
4: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's nothing but fucking cockroaches, man. Yeah. You know? That'd if be I fine. could level the whole fucking block, I would. Yep. Um, it, uh... There is no place in this fucking country for them sons of bitches. Yep. No place. Yep. And...
0: I mean, I'm, I'll be honest with you. There are a bunch of kids there?
4: I'm sure there are. Okay. Um, I don't know how many... I, okay. I honestly can't say that I've seen a lot there. Okay. Because, dude... Everything that you see over there, in them both places yeah. are all men are fighting each. Oh, okay, you know? sure. Yeah, okay, yeah, okay, I sure. mean, supposedly they're bringing in families. <laughs> my fucking ass, fuck you. Yeah, yeah. What are they doing? Fucking themselves? Well, they probably are, but you know, yeah, them and yeah. their goats.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so, I hear so, you, man. I hear you, bro. I've
4: been after them motherfuckers for a long time, dude, and I've had to. Oh, it's been so hard not to wink at them motherfuckers every time I see them. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: I hear you. Well, they're gonna know your name soon enough, right? Well, hopefully they don't know my name. Well, you know what I mean, I know, man. Yeah. They're gonna know you. Come on. Mm, right. Yeah. They better not know your name, yeah, exactly. cause then they're gonna know me.
4: Exactly. Yeah, no. yeah. 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 Um, like I said, I'm looking forward to it, man. I, ever since, uh, ever since, you know. I was introduced and and, uh, Mm -hmm. felt confident uh, about the situation. Oh, it'll be good, man. um, I've been stoked. (laughs) (laughs) It'll be good, man. I'm I'm telling you. As long as, as long as you know, most of the time, except against these motherfuckers. No, (laughs) I
0: hear you, man. No, I I agree with you. You know that it'll be good. You'll get it. It'll do what you want it to do. You'll be far away,
4: and I'm I'm fucking stoked. Cool. I'm much more confident that it will be oh it's you accomplished me? absolutely and, uh, yep. we'll just sit back and watch the news yeah. you know there you go yep because um, Jesus Christ I can only imagine what's going to rain down you know after that but mm-hmm. uh, I just uh, this could be a fruitful fucking relationship you know if yeah. all goes off, off without a hitch because this could only man. be the beginning man yeah. the motherfuckers are everywhere yeah yeah I know they and, are man uh,
0: all right, we better get them. There's gonna be kids coming here. Shit. I agree with you, brother.
2: They walk outside. The FBI is ready.
4: Warm up though, right, man? It's oh, fucking yeah. cold out here, dude. Uh, I think it's actually supposed to get up to like 80 today, somehow. Oh, what was it? Right now, we got this shit, so. Yeah.
0: Kind of yeah it's cold as hell, man. Yep. You get bad, good gas mileage with that thing.
4: Get the fuck out! The, right.
0: the hell, man! The fuck is this? The fuck is this? Hey, what the fuck is going on? Who are you, motherfuckers?
5: All right, please.
2: Patrick Stein was taken down. Meanwhile, at the same time, agents tracking Gavin Wright and Liberal took him into custody. Now, all three men were arrested. The news about the arrests quickly began to spread around town. Ifrah Ahmed heard about them from her boss at the meatpacking plant.
7: I didn't have my phone with me, so he left me a couple of missed calls. As I come out, and I see my phone, and I'm like, whoa, why is my boss calling me? This is not a good sign. What happened? And so I call, and he's like, are you all right? And I'm like, Yeah. And he's like, are you okay? Are you sure you're okay? I'm like, yes, what's going on? And he's like, well, have you not heard what happened? And I'm like, no, I haven't haven't seen the TV or heard anything. And he's like, well, there was some people that were trying to do some bad stuff, but they were caught. I go and I turn the TV.
5: Three Kansas men, Patrick Eugene Stein, Curtis Allen, and Gavin Wright, all in their late 40s, talked for months about killing Muslims.
7: And this is what's coming up. Oh, this guy's trying to bomb the Islamic community and everything, and there it was. And it's like, my heart just dropped. It's like, literally, I was like, I turned cold. And I thought to myself, again? Like, not again. I have to do this again now. I have to start over. You know, I have to leave. I have to start again and like try to find somewhere else, and it's like, why? It's like the idea of, not again, I'm gonna start over again. Not again, I have to move. Not again, that, will I ever find a, like, this was my home. And again, I'm forced to flee. Like, part of me was in denial.
2: The horror that Ifra felt reflected the terror sweeping through the Somali community in Garden City especially among those living at the West Mary Street Apartments. Some huddled in fear behind closed doors. Others hurried to make plans to flee. The place Ephra thought was her home, a seemingly safe one in a tiny corner of southwest Kansas, had suddenly turned upside down. A hundred miles away, Dan and his family gathered around a TV in a hotel room urged by his FBI handlers he'd left town to attend an annual family reunion but while relatives were enjoying a cookout he was riveted to the story unfolding on TV as officials at a press conference described the arrests was it finally over could he go back to being just Dan Day stewing in a cell Patrick caught on Curtis was in jail Gavin was in jail, he was in jail, but Dan Day was not. Patrick Stein called his mother.
1: Hey.
4: Um, I'm down here in Wichita. Uh, okay. You got something right with? Yeah. Dan Day. D-A-Y. He's a goddamn fit. And to get the message out. And who is? Dan Day D A Y. Okay. We were fucking infiltrated, mom.
6: He called his mom to warn her that Dan was an informant. He still didn't suspect Brian. <laughs> the power of the bromance.
2: Truth and Lies, The Informant. It's a production of ABC Audio and contains reporting and interviews conducted by George Stephanopoulos Productions for the documentary The Informant: Fear and Faith in the Heartland, streaming now on Hulu. This podcast was written and produced by Ann Thomas, Madeline Wood, Marwa Mowaki, and Cameron Shetavian. Additional production by Iru Ekpanobi, Audrey Mostek. And Nania McLean. Our supervising producers were Susie Liu and Sasha Aslanian. Our story consultants were Chris Donovan and Amon McNiff of George Stephanopoulos Productions. Music by Evan Viola, scoring and mixing by Evan Viola and Rob Galane. Special thanks to George Stephanopoulos, Jennifer Joseph, Joe Park, Mike Levine, Monica De La Rosa. Brenda Salinas-Baker, Josh Cohan, and Liz Alessi. As in previous campaigns, it's the economy, stupid. We'll be looking at that this morning. First, though, it's the news, stupid. It is the economy, stupid.
7: It's not the economy, stupid. It's national security, stupid. It's the hair, stupid.
1: In 1992, one of the best-known pieces of presidential campaign wisdom was born. It's the economy, stupid. But was it actually the economy that won Bill Clinton that election? In a new series from the 538 Politics podcast, we're taking a look back at conventional wisdom from past elections with a critical lens. Where did that wisdom come from, and does it hold up today? Find the Campaign Throwback series in the 538 Politics feed wherever you get your podcasts.